Would you join me in a word of prayer before this morning's message? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 1. And I think I just want to read the scripture uh, that I'll be preaching on to begin the sermon this morning. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. And this immediately follows. And when I say immediately, I mean immediately because that's how Luke puts things. Uh, This immediately follows Gabriel's visit to Mary and uh, his announcing to her the news that she would be the mother of the Messiah and her answer of may it be. So hear God's word. Luke chapter 1 verse 39. Um, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This ends the reading of God's word. Um, you know, whenever you hear uh, news, perhaps uh, that is alarming or shocking or surprising, we like to confirm it, don't we? It's something that we want to get confirmation on. In fact, uh, just the other day, um, to avoid any kind of false reporting like what happened with the Sandy Hook shooting, uh, they refused to release the name of the shooter at Arapahoe High School until they knew for a fact that the person name that they had was indeed the person. And they worked hard to confirm that story. They waited to see if the family had been informed and uh, uh, all the proper things had been done. And whenever we hear news uh, that is secondhand, uh, we fail sometimes, don't we, to confirm it? Uh, We're often quick to believe things, but there are some things that are so preposterous or so amazing or, or so no way that we go and we ask others. Is this really what happened? Or we go to the source and we ask them, hey, did it happen the way that I heard it around town happened? 
And then there are this, there's this idea uh, that Christians hold to, and if you are uh, new to church world, this might boggle your mind a bit, but Christians believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to them. Uh, Christians believe that God speaks to them. And uh, some Christians believe this more than others, right? Uh, you've probably met some of them. Uh, maybe you are one of them. It's okay. Uh, but there are Christians who say that God speaks to them regularly and even tells them what to wear on particular days. I have yet to have that experience. Uh, my wife tells me what to wear, and I do not confuse her with God yet. Um, now, if you heard that you're going to have a baby and the father is God, that might be news you want to have confirmed. I mean, even if an angel told you, right? Even if an angel showed up and said, blessed are you, highly favored by God are you, you are going to have a child and, and you are in shock and your answer is, may it be. Now, did you notice how sedated her answer seems to be? May it be. <laughs> There's no excitement with this news. There's no rejoicing with this news. Uh, it's just kind of... Uh, a matter of fact, may it be. And I think that one of the things that was going through Mary's mind was, who would understand the predicament I'm in? <laughs> who would understand what I'm going through? Who's a person that I could go spend some time with and be able to help me process this? You know, they didn't have counselors back then. Uh, nobody had a PhD in psychology yet. Um, they had family, they had friends, and she turns to family, but it's not family nearby. In fact, I have a map of the journey that Mary probably made to go see Elizabeth. Uh, Mary lives up in Nazareth, and that's where this news was shared with her. And the text tells us that immediately ready, she readied herself and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. The hill country is down southwest of Jerusalem. This was about an 80 to 100 mile journey. So if Mary had traveled on foot, they could have traveled in this kind of terrain about 20 miles a day. And so four to five days journey to see Elizabeth. Um, it tells us that she hurried. And I, I think why she hurried was she wanted to get this confirmed. She wanted to spend some time with somebody else who the town gossip chain had erupted about her situation. I mean, Elizabeth was too old to have kids. And did you hear who's pregnant in town? And a person who is experiencing somewhat of a, not just somewhat, a miraculous birth herself a miraculous pregnancy, she decided to go talk to her and spend time with her. And if you remember what Gabriel said, or actually the, the narrator Luke said at the very beginning, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and actually Gabriel reinforces it by saying Elizabeth is also with child. And I think in a, in a way, she got this idea from Gabriel. She got this idea from God. He implied, I think, Go see Elizabeth. So Mary readies herself and hurries. Now imagine a 15, 13 to 15 year old girl making an 80 to 100 mile trek. Um, 
I don't know if she went alone. The text doesn't tell us. I don't know if she traveled with somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have gone with my daughter because <laughs> she'd need a driver nowadays. But I, I, if we had gone on foot uh, to Akron or uh, Fort Morgan or however far that would have been, uh, I'm pretty sure I would have accompanied her. So we don't know. It doesn't tell us. It just tells us about Mary. And Mary goes to Elizabeth, her cousin. Now, uh, we saw that when she shows up, Elizabeth is ecstatic. All it says is that Mary greeted her, and we don't know what she said. Uh, You know, there's not even enough time for Elizabeth to have gotten the mail yet and to know that Mary's expecting. But Elizabeth knows. Did you catch that? Mary shows up, she greets her, and it probably wasn't a greeting. Hi, I'm pregnant. You know, it probably, probably wasn't that. Usually on a four or five day trip somewhere, you, you play, you, you have all those discussions with yourself. of How, how are you going to break the news, right? All right, I'm going to tell. Because it didn't go so well at home when I told the folks that an angel appeared. So how am I going to tell Elizabeth? And is she going to believe me? And, and perhaps every morning when she woke up and she started readying herself for the journey, and perhaps during those long walks during the day, she was busy rehearsing what she would say and the timing she would look for and the opportunity. You know, I doubt it was, hi, I'm pregnant. And... Mary greets her, and Elizabeth greets Mary back. And did you hear what she said? It's astounding what she says. Number one, she talks about Jesus. <laughs> she says, well, first, John the Baptist, that's who's in her womb, <laughs> leaps for joy. And it's a precursor of what her son is going to be doing his entire life. John is going to be the one that is proclaiming, prepare the way for the Lord. John is the precursor. John is the one that comes before Jesus. And even here in utero, John is doing his job. And he leaves for joy. And then what does it say? Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know how many times that is said of somebody before the day of Pentecost? It's not often. Not often does the Holy Spirit come upon somebody in the Old Testament. Here the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth. And through the insight and through the knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives her into what's going on, she exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. (laughs) What do you think is going through a 13-year-old girl's mind when she hears that from her elder, much older cousin. I'm sure she's never been greeting, greeted this way in her life. I'm pretty sure Bailey's never been greeted. Blessed are you, highest favorite of all. I mean, it's like, huh? What do you want from me? What are you buttering me up for? But this, remember, the Holy Spirit is speaking, in a sense, through Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says these things. Why am I so favored, says Elizabeth, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
You see, Elizabeth hasn't been informed of Mary's story, and yet she knows. She already knows that she's expecting number one, but she also knows who she's expecting number two. And I'm sure Mary didn't have time to articulate this in her greeting. This is an important thing for us to keep in mind as Christians, because uh, and perhaps those who are skeptical of God speaking to people, this is a good thing to keep in mind, because when God speaks to one, he speaks to others. He's not going to just speak to one person apart from speaking to others and confirming it. There's a funny story that helps illustrate this. Uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon was an excellent, amazing preacher, and he preached uh, and was a pastor of a humongous Baptist church in London. In fact, it was so big that they had to ask people to attend only one Sunday a month. So that's why we're trying to become a larger church, so you can have three Sundays off. (laughs) See how awesome that is for you? Anyways, I'm just totally kidding there. (laughs) They were so large, they didn't have seating. They asked people to come once a month. And they didn't have an online podcast that you could listen to. They had no tapes or anything. Um, And so one Sunday, a man came up to Spurgeon after the sermon and he said, the Lord has told me that I'm supposed to preach from your pulpit next Sunday. And Spurgeon said, No, he didn't, because if he would have told you that, he would have also told me. And that is a brilliant response. It's absolutely brilliant, and it is completely biblical. Because whenever God speaks to one person, he lets others know as well. I mean, think of this story here. He told Mary, you are going to expect a child And he is going to be the savior of the world, the Messiah. The first person she runs to, to have this confirmed is Elizabeth. And the first words out of Elizabeth's mouth, what favor do I have that the mother of my Lord, right there in that little phrase, tells us that God has told somebody else. You know, This is important somewhat in the life of our church where we're currently at. Because it's easy sometimes for uh, a person to try to, uh, you know, push their will, their agenda on a group of people. And perhaps some feel that way with the idea of building and uh, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we, the elders, you know, we we operate uh, in a very Presbyterian style of government. We have a board of elders, a council of elders. And we do not move forward with plans and ideas until we are all in agreement on those things. And so it's not that God is telling me or another something and the rest are like, yeah, I guess I'm along for the ride. God told him. You know, I mean, think of the think of the opportunity to to abuse that and and think of all the times that has been abused by people. Perhaps you've gone to a church like that or or been around a person like that who has abused that phrase. God told me. God told me to tell you. And the next time somebody says, God told me to tell you, uh, shoot back to them. Well, God didn't tell me. Now, it's important. There's, There's a little bit of a dynamic here at play. Because clearly God speaks through other people into our lives. Right? I've had that experience. 
God speaks to us through other people. But I think what's missing sometimes in that lingo is humility. Humility. And listen to the rest of this story. Now, she goes on and says, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Uh, One last comment on Elizabeth's statement. This is very Trinitarian. (laughs) Number one, the Holy Spirit's involved. And then she's talking about the Lord sending the Lord, right? She's talking about uh, the Lord sending the Lord. The mother of my Lord should come to me. Who, who is doing the sending and who is doing is is God the father doing the sending and, and, and is God the father the one? In, I mean, how is this all working out? And the the church has figured this out as best it can. And it's come up with the doctrine of the Trinity. And it teaches that there is one God who exists eternally in three persons. The persons are father, son and Holy Spirit. And it's a mystery at the heart of the Christian faith. Um, I have yet to hear an adequate explanation of it, and probably because my brain's really small. And all of those who have spent lifetimes pondering the doctrine of the Trinity, their brains are really small. And we're busy trying to, to box up God and help ourselves understand this. But this is a very Trinitarian statement by Elizabeth. God the Father is sending God the Son into the world. And the way I know this is the Holy Spirit told me. And then Mary sings. Well, maybe she didn't sing. It says she spoke here. I don't really know. And this is a fascinating thing to say. I mean, with the rhyme and the rhythm and everything just right off the cuff like she did. This is called the Magnificat. And if you grew up Catholic, uh, perhaps you've memorized this, uh, perhaps you've said this, perhaps this has taken a, 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 a hold in your life in some way, in some spiritual discipline kind of way. And if you're not Catholic, if you're a Protestant, um, we tend to neglect this. And part of it is because Catholics sometimes will overemphasize this and overemphasize Mary. But these words are so powerful that the government of Guatemala in the 1990s, they would not allow this passage of scripture to be quoted or read. Now, why wouldn't you allow a passage of scripture about Jesus and his coming to be quoted or read? Well, do you remember what you read? Do you remember what you heard in those words? She first starts out talking about herself But then she starts to talk about him. Mary starts by saying, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. And by the way, now the emotions are starting to kick in, right? Now it's no longer may it be. Now it's, hey, this is kind of cool. (laughs) This is a good, my soul magnifies the Lord. For he has been mindful of the, what's that word? Humble. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. See, 
when we read about when they presented Jesus to the temple, we read in Luke chapter 2 that they brought to the temple the second smallest possible sacrifice you could bring. And it's because they were just really not very good Jewish people, right? That was a joke. Checking to see if you're awake. It's because they were poor. They brought two birds. They brought two birds and that was their sacrifice because they didn't have enough money to get a lamb or a goat. They had no resources for that. Jesus' parents were poor. And poor people, what I've experienced, um, when they realize how poor they are, it's awful, awful uh, usually, there we go, a humbling experience. And here she is saying, God has been mindful of the humble state of her. I think she's referencing that she's poor. She's also probably referencing, I'm an unwed, pregnant teenage girl. And God is mindful of me. And I've come to Elizabeth for some encouragement, for some help. And the first words are out of her mouth confirm what I've been told by God. And I think it just brings up this great joy in her life, in her heart, that it's true. And not only is it true, it's really good news because Elizabeth is stoked. Elizabeth is excited. She goes on and she says, <clears throat> From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And now he, she begins to talk about him, about her son. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And really, I think you got to think of this as the first Christmas carol. This is the first Christmas carol. And one of the things I want you to note is how unsentimental it is. You know how sentimental our Christmas carols are? Silent night. Have you been around an infant child? Holy night. All is calm. Have you been around a barnyard with infant children? All is bright. Round yon virgin. Have you been around a woman after she gave birth to a child? This is the hallmark version of the nativity. This is the hallmark version of Mary's story of Jesus' entrance into the world. And it's so sentimental and it can become so syrupy, sappy. And I like that song. I mean, don't get me wrong, but it's so different than what Mary sang. So different than what Mary sang. And I think the church would do well to sing more songs like Mary's. You see, Mary says that God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. You see, that's why you couldn't sing this in Guatemala. Because whenever rulers get word that somebody wants to knock them off their throne, they don't like that. 
They fight that. They silence it. They put down revolutions and rebellions. And the kind of world that Mary lived in under Herod. Herod was the kind of guy that would kill family members, did kill family members, who were conspiring. Well, they weren't even conspiring against him. He thought they were conspiring against him. If you're a 13-year-old girl talking about deposing the ruler, that takes guts. He has scattered those who are proud. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. I wouldn't be surprised Mary said that with a a little rumbling in her tummy. Because she's poor, remember? And she just traveled for four to five days. My bet is that she hasn't had a good meal in a long time. Perhaps never in her life. And here she is, this hungry young girl, and she says, God satisfies the hungry, sends away the rich. You know, perhaps this is why we don't like this song so much. Because, as I've said many times, we live in the Disneyland of world history. I mean, just jump on a plane, get a passport, and go somewhere outside of the West. Go to India, go to Thailand, go to Central America, go to South America, go to Africa. And you will see that the vast majority of people in this world, their eyes, their minds would be boggled if they saw running water inside a building. You know, I was at uh, Supers or what's it called? Market, Ray Market the other day. I was buying a few things and um, they were throwing away donuts there. Can you believe it? (laughs) And I'm like, they should give this to poor people. I'm like, that won't help poor people much. Donuts. I mean, they were throwing donuts away. We throw food away in this country. We're so rich. We throw it away and we'll just make more. And there are parts of this world that people pick through and actually not just pick through, they live in the landfills. And that's where they find their food. And that's why, where they find their clothing. And that's where they find what they make their home of. And that's where they find all the raw material to make their life possible. And here Mary says, God has sent the rich away empty. Do you ever feel your life is empty? Do you ever feel that your experiences in church are empty? Do you ever feel like sitting and reading the scriptures, ah, it just doesn't do much for me, it's empty? Maybe you're rich. Maybe God sends you away empty because you are rich and you are clinging. To riches. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. We just had a long series on Father Abraham. We know all about that, right? 
And here, Mary sings the first Christmas carol about the Messiah entering the world. But did you catch the gospel in her song? It's in there. Those who are gathered will be scattered. And those who are scattered will be gathered. It's like those who have it all together will be torn apart. And those who are all in pieces, God will gather them together. You see, the gospel comes into this world and it doesn't say the same things our culture or our religion say. Our culture says, if you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. If you're a good person, God loves you. If you're a good person, it'll all work out okay. And religion comes along and says, if you follow these rules and these regulations and these rituals, and if you do these things, then you will win God's favor. You will be good enough. And you see, the culture and religions are saying the same thing. They're saying, if you're good enough, if you're good enough, God will bless you and take care of you. And at the end of days, you will go to heaven. That's not what this says. That's not at all what the Bible says. That's not at all what the gospel says. The gospel says everyone is bad. No one is good except Christ. And those who think they're good will be turned away by God. But those who know they're bad and repent of their sin will be welcomed in by Jesus into his kingdom. It's right there. The gospel message is right there, right at the beginning of the story. And he's right there in Mary's womb. So I put the question to you today. Have you put your faith in Christ? I mean, really put your faith in Christ. I mean, beyond just, oh, I'm a good person. Yeah, I got that one taken care of. I'm in church regularly. Got it. I even gave some money. Good. I've got it. I'm doing these things. Yes. If it's about a checklist for you, you are far from the kingdom of God. But if it is about the person of Jesus Christ and him being good and you being bad and him being perfect and you being imperfect and him rescuing you. Did you hear what Mary said? My savior. If you understand that you are a sinner and you are bad and you are in need of a savior, then welcome to the kingdom. That is the message of the gospel. You know, overall, I see in this passage one other thing that I would just want to briefly mention. And it's one thing that we all need. In fact, just this past few weeks, I've been getting emails from people and and somebody mentioned it this morning that atheists, have you heard about the atheists around the world? They're starting to meet on Sunday mornings. They're having church. What? Why would atheists get together? Because when 99.9% of the population believes there's a God you have to find like-minded individuals to help you remain strong in your beliefs. You need what Christians call fellowship. 
You need other atheists so you can come and say, man, I was talking to this Christian at work and he was talking about Advent conspiracy and he was talking about how he's given money away. That's so irritating because it makes me think, hmm, maybe there's something to this thing. Oh, man, don't listen to him. That's, you know, he's just being selfish by giving things away and then blabbing it off to you so that you think he's a great guy. You know, thank God we could, I mean, thank whomever that we're all able to sit around and get ourselves all ready to go back out into that world where everybody believes the myth of God. And I think in this story, we see a young girl who needs fellowship, encouragement. And we see a young girl who takes an 80 to 100 mile journey to find a person who will listen to her, who will empathize with her, who will walk the path with her, who will encourage her. And I regularly hear stories about people, even in our own church, being severely disconnected from other people. And that's not what Christ intends for your life. Jesus died for the church. Jesus understands that we need one another. In fact, one day I will probably preach on the 20 or so one another's that are in Scripture. Because we need one another. We cannot do this thing alone. So who are the people in your life that you are surrounding yourself with? Who are the folks that you are walking this path with? Who is it that you spend time with regularly and they have permission to speak things into your life? To help you. To encourage you. Because even though 99.9% of the population believes in God, it's a tough walk out there. And you are not designed to do it alone. Did you hear that? You are not designed. God built you in such a way that you need other people. You know, I think one of the things that God keeps putting on my heart is the need for us to figure out how to connect each other to, be- to each one another better in this church. And he keeps putting it on my heart because regularly I hear stories about people struggling with things and they're completely disconnected from each other. And I'm like, how? How does that happen in a small town? Because I'm big city. I thought y'all would like be in each other's stuff all the time. And you kind of are sometimes, but it's not always in the helpful way. (laughs) Let me encourage each of you. Ask yourself, sit in that this week. Who are you doing life with? Who's your Elizabeth? Who's the one that is encouraging you? Here's one thing I've learned about this. This is, this is huge. This is, Earth shattering. Are you ready? You have to take initiative on this one. For years, I sat around out in Ray, Colorado, wondering 
How come I don't have a mentor pastor in my life? How come nobody's taking me under wing? How come nobody's looking at me and going, hey, there's a rising star. He's a nice guy. Let's hang out with him. How come nobody's doing that? And I finally one day felt convicted by a sermon that I listened to. And it said, you need to go find an, a mentor. It really, the, the, the sermon said that. You need to go find a mentor. Kind of a sermon like this one. And I called up my friend Larry Renault and I said, would you consider being my mentor? And he was like, yeah, that'd be, sure, that'd be fun. I like you. It'd kind of be neat to hang out with you, which was helpful. You know, I felt pretty good about myself. <laughs> so about once a month, I'd drive to Denver. And he's not the only man in my life, but he's a significant man in my life. And, and he's one that understands what it's like to herd cats, you know. <laughs> he's one that understands what it's like to try to be a pastor, and we're able to sit down and we're able to chat and we're able to <laughs> cry sometimes. We're able to pray for each other. And guess what? When I went with to him and I shared, hey, our church is growing and we're going to have to figure out what to do. He says, oh, you guys got to build. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> In fact, he was my Elizabeth that day. And every single time I get together with him, do you know he encourages me so much? Because his church of like a thousand people, you know what they did for Christmas last year? This is nothing. They only gave $25,000 away. Do you know what our church of far less than a thousand people did? We gave away $13,000. And I told Larry that and he felt bad. You know, a church of a thousand people and a community the size of Denver. Do you know the penetration they have into the actual community? Do you know the penetration of a church of 150 to 200 people in a, in a community of 2,000? You know, the penetration that church has into that community? Do you know, realize the influence that you have compared to the influence of folks there? <laughs> It boggles my mind. And did you know I didn't think like that until I hung out with Larry? Because he would help open my eyes to things that I couldn't see in myself or in my church or in the people that I'm trying to lead or in the community I live in. And he was able to help me and encourage me. Who does that in your life? You need that. You're designed for it. And it's not just going to happen. You have to find it. And you have to ask for it. You have to pursue it. So do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, you have not made us so that uh, we can do this thing by ourselves. And boy, that's a favorite of our culture. That we are self-sufficient and we are, um, and we have made ourselves that we are all these kinds of things. And Lord, we pray that we would continue to be as countercultural as possible. That we would understand that the gospel is subversive. That right here in the early Christmas song that Mary sang, it talks about rulers being toppled off their thrones. Why? So that the ruler can come and reign. 
Lord, may you begin to rule and reign in our hearts today. May we be courageous like Mary. May we give full rule and reign in our lives to you. And Lord, I do pray that we would be obedient to find somebody to fellowship with. Someone who will encourage us to fight the good fight and to finish the race. We ask these things in Christ's name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you share that with others. Life on life. As you walk this path with somebody right beside you. Amen.